We've been working our way through the book of Philippians uh, under the theme, Choose Joy. And I, I believe that Choose Joy is the theme of the entire book. And so as we, uh, as we go uh, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, we see the opportunities over and over again to choose joy. Well, this morning, as we think about choosing joy one more time, I want us to talk about the joyful journey, the joyful journey. What we find as we look in the next uh, paragraph of Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 17, and as we begin uh, in that text, we, we discover that we are on a journey, that we're not home yet, and we can make sure that that journey is joyful. And he's going to give us uh, two or three ideas that will guide us along the way to, to help us make sure that our journey is joyful. Now, before we start reading at verse 17, uh, we need to, to kind of back up a little bit and get back into the context of the chapter. One of the, one of the uh, uh, little obstacles that we run into when we preach uh, in this way. We preach through an entire book of the Bible. We look at little sections each Sunday. Uh, one of the, the obstacles that we run into is uh, when we look at that one little section, we might forget the context that, that it's in, and we might, uh, we might misinterpret part of it if we don't remember how it fits into the whole letter. So with that in mind, I want to remind you of what we talked about last week. In verses 12 through 16, I won't read those to you again, but uh, Paul basically says, uh, you know, I, I'm not perfect yet. Uh, I, I'm not like Jesus, but becoming like Jesus is my goal in life. And that goal is so important to me that I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm straining toward what is ahead and I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, that's my motivation. My motivation in life is to become like Jesus. And so then with that, remember, that's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, we want to be like him. And I'm doing the very best I can to run that race to become like him. Now in verse 17, he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And you begin to see why context is so important. If we just jumped right into verse 17, it would really sound like Paul is kind of arrogant. He's kind of a cocky guy. He's, he's, gonna, he's up here saying, hey, everybody, follow me. Look at me. Imitate me. Well, that's not at all what he's saying, is it? Because he just got through saying, I want to be like Jesus and I'm doing my best to get there. You join and follow me in that endeavor of becoming like Jesus. He, he says, I want you to imitate me, not so that you become like me. Imitate me in the process of becoming like Jesus. And so in verse 17, get the first of three things that we can do to have a joyful journey. And that is that we need to follow godly examples. We want to follow godly examples. You hear him again. He says, join in imitating me. 
Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, watch the right people. Keep your eyes on, on the godly people. Keep your eyes, he says, on those who walk according to the example that you have seen in us. Paul said, I, show, I, you know, I showed you how to do this. I showed you what it looks like to be a disciple and to try to be like Christ. Now that I'm in prison, you can't see me anymore, but there are other people who are doing the same thing. So watch them. Watch how they are working at becoming like Christ so that you have examples to follow. In one of the northern states, a father and his son were driving along in, in a snowstorm. And that snowstorm got so bad that the father couldn't see to drive any farther. And so he just had to pull off to the side of the road. And he got out of the car trying to, to see, trying to figure out where to go and what to do. And he could see just, uh, just beyond this little field, he could see the lights of a farmhouse. And so he decided, well, the best thing for us to do is to get through this snow to that farmhouse. But he turned to his son and he said, boy, we, we can't keep driving because I can't see where I'm going and, and it's, it's just not safe. We can't, I can't even see the road, so we can't drive anymore. And the only thing I know to do is, is to get to that house, but this snow is so deep that I won't be able to carry you and get through this snow on my own. And the son says, don't worry, Dad. You lead the way, and I'll just follow your footprints that I find in the snow behind you. And they arrived at the farmhouse and warmed up over that warm, hot chocolate. And the father realized what had happened, and he said a prayer of thanksgiving. He said, Father, thank you for showing me the way to go. Thank you for using me to show my son the way to go. We all need those examples to follow. We need somebody going before us so that we can follow the footsteps, the footprints along the way. If you've been a part of our church family for very long, you've heard my story that my dad died when I was really young. I talk about it quite a bit because it was... It, it had such a huge impact on my life. Um, it, it played a large part in, in who I became. As a, as a youngster, uh, I really went through some difficult times and I struggled because I didn't get to do a lot of the stuff that the other boys my age got to do. And they were learning things and having experiences that I missed out on. Um, and... As a, as a young person, it was very difficult because I didn't have that dad to, to give me the direction that I needed or to give me the advice that I needed or to, to help me figure out this complicated thing we call life. But then when I got to be an older teenager, maybe into college, something occurred to me that I had never really realized growing up. And that is, while I didn't have my dad, God had taken care of me through the years. And in many ways, I had kind of a super dad. If I use my imagination, 
I had created in my mind the super dad because I grew up in a church family. And as I grew up in a church family, here was, here was a man that cared enough about me to take me to the, the deacon son banquet every year. And he showed me what it meant to be family. And here was a man who figured out that I had a self-esteem problem. And he said, hey, Crowder, next Sunday, you're going to teach Sunday school on how to deal with self-esteem issues. <laughs> and and here's, here's a guy that, that, that taught me how to do things out in, 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 uh, in nature. And he taught me the, the value of, uh, of communing with God in that way. And, and I could, in other words, I could take from this man that one characteristic that I needed. And there were some characteristics that I needed to leave behind. I could do that because he wasn't my dad. And over here, I could take this characteristic from this man, and I could leave behind some of the other stuff. And over time, I was able to, to, to take bits and pieces and, and kind of create this super dad father figure. It was amazing when I looked back and saw how God had done that for me. I graduated from Baylor. I went to seminary. And in seminary, I had the opportunity to work under a, a mentor who continued uh, to, to kind of be that dad figure at times. And we went to our first church. And at our first church, the chairman of the committee that called me to that church became a very close, dear friend. There were days that sometimes Gene was my friend, sometimes he was my brother, sometimes he was my deacon, and sometimes he was my dad. And God used these guys over and over throughout my whole life to give me that example, to show me what it looks like to follow Christ. And as I look back, all I know to do is say thank you. Because I had those examples. And Paul says, look for those people in your life. I'm not sure that we always recognize them unless we're looking for them. So Paul says, look for those examples to follow, the godly examples. We need to make a major change in our culture. And I think it's worldwide, but especially in the United States. We need to make a major change in our culture. Somewhere along the way, we made the tremendous, horrible mistake of thinking that entertainers and athletes should be our heroes. Listen, who cares what a basketball player ate for breakfast? Why should I buy certain cereal just because that football player eats that cereal? Who cares what actors in Hollywood think about politics? We need to remember that entertainers and athletes are here for one purpose, and that purpose is to entertain us. We pay money to sit back, and they are here for us, not the other way around. See, we, we follow the wrong examples. Paul says very clearly, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Our goal is to follow godly examples. 
Now, as we do that, here's the second thing that he tells us about the joyful journey. As we do that, we need to be aware of worldly people. We want to follow godly examples. But while we're following those godly examples, we have to be aware of, the, of worldly people. There's a contrast here on purpose. In verse 17, he talked about follow, you know, imitate me and follow other people who are godly examples. But in verses 18 and 19, listen, for many, why do you need to follow the godly examples? Because there are many around you who are not. He, he begins verse 18 with the word for, which in this case means because, because many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, look for the few good godly examples because there are many around you who are not. There are many around you who actually walk contrary to God's ways. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, it very well could be that he had in mind the Judaizers that we talked about the last couple of weeks. Those who said you had to obey the law in order to get right with God and you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian and all that stuff. It could be that he had them in mind because if obeying the law and becoming Jewish is the way to be right with God, then why did Jesus die? You see, and by pushing the legalism, they are becoming enemies of the cross of Christ. But I kind of think because of the emphasis of verse 17, I really think that verse 18 is not just talking about the Judaizers, but it's talking about those who surround us every day who are still of the world, who have not yet begun the joyful journey toward becoming like Christ. And so he says again in 18, for many of whom I've told you and now tell you even with tears, Paul, it brings Paul to tears to realize that his beloved friends in Philippi are still surrounded by so many people who don't get it. Those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ Listen to the, the, the kind of people that surround us. Listen, their end is destruction. That's why we don't want to follow them. We wind up where we don't want to be. Their end is destruction. And he says their God is their belly. Well, when, when he says their God is their belly, when he's talking about their belly, he's talking about their appetites, what they want, what pleases them. And he says their God is self-satisfaction. Their God is what they want, when they want it, how they want it. And you know, there was a time, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if, if you've been born again, you're a part of his kingdom, there was a time when your God was your belly. Before you came to know Jesus personally, you were driven in life by what you want, by selfish desires, by your own appetites. And he says there are so many people around us who have not yet come to Christ. They're driven by that selfish, fallen nature, their belly. 
He says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Notice that. The stuff that should be wrong, they glorify. They celebrate the stuff that they should be ashamed of. And folks, that's the world we live in today. The, the, the stuff that's wrong is made right, and the stuff that's right is made wrong. And if you dare call wrong wrong, well, now all of a sudden, you're the one who's wrong. It's a weird world in which we live. They glory in their shame. Now, you and I don't need to be afraid of the world around us, and we don't need to withdraw from it and, pretend, and, and try to avoid it. We just need to be aware of the world in which we live. So Paul says, if you want to have a joyful journey, follow the right people on the path, the godly examples. But be aware that there are these other influences around you all the time that you want to be careful about. Those who are still a part of the fallen nature and are thinking that way and influencing you that way, be aware of that influence so that you can be more focused on the godly examples. And then the third thing that he tells us and uh, allows us or in, in helps us to have that joyful journey, the third thing that he tells us is we need to know where home is. If I'm on a journey, it sure would help to know what's my destination. You know, I'm on a journey, I need to know where I'm going. But the good news is not only do we know where we're going, not only do we know where the destination is, but that destination is home. We're not home yet. We're just on the journey to get home. We are pilgrims passing through this land. And what we find out when we read scripture is that this life is the temporary experience that is preparing us for the eternal. We're just passing through this area. We're pilgrims, but we're headed home. Look at verses 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ. We just talked about even so come. Lord, come quickly. Come. We want you to come. Where is that going to happen? He comes from heaven. And look in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and it's from that same heaven that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. Verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He, he says our citizenship is in heaven. We try to go to Honduras as often as we can. We usually wind up taking a trip about once a year. Sometimes it's just two or three leaders who go, and we're, we're kind of preparing for the next big trip. And sometimes we take a bunch of people, and we get to do mission work there in the, um, in the mountain region with um, 61 Isaiah Ministries. And every time we go to Honduras, I have to make sure that I have that little blue book with me. That little blue book with the gold writing on the front, it says passport. It's very important that you have one of those. Matter of fact, if you leave one of those 
in your back pocket and it goes through the wash, you have to go through a whole process to beg and plead the government to give you a new one. It's not fun. Because you got to have one of those if you're going to go outside the country. We go to Honduras, and that's the first thing they want to see, passport. I say, hi, how are you? Passport. Oh, I just wanted to get to know you. Tell me about your passport. They want to see the passport. Why? Because the passport identifies me. And it tells them where my citizenship is. When I have that passport in Honduras, that lets people know, I don't, I'm not from here. I'm traveling. I'm on a journey, a pilgrimage. My home is the United States. That's what my passport says. If you are a believer, if you have trusted in Christ... And you are on that joyful journey of Christ becoming more like him. You have a spiritual passport. It's not something that anybody can see, but it's something that you need to be carrying with you all the time as a constant reminder of who you are in him and where your citizenship is. Your spiritual passport reminds you every day, this is not my home but I'm on my way home. My citizenship is in heaven. By the way, that word citizenship is a fun word in Greek. It's the word that we get, our word politics. And as I thought through that, I realized how important it is for us to remember our citizenship, our politics are to be in his kingdom. I think maybe some of us get a little bit too wrapped up in Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, when really our identification should be Christian. I think maybe we get a little bit too hung up on our party and don't think enough about our kingdom. Maybe we get a little bit too focused on our candidate and not enough on our king. Our citizenship is in heaven. While we live here in the United States, this is temporary. We're just on our way through. And if we could keep that in mind, if we could keep that spiritual passport handy, that would affect how we see the world around us and how we live our lives. One of the things that that would do for us is help us to be more joyful on the journey. We're in a fallen, mixed up, messed up, messy place. But hey, this is not all there is. I'm headed home. I can be joyful because I know I'm headed to a place that is far better than this. This is fallen that is glorious. Matter of fact, not only will I be in a better place, but I'm going to have a better body. He says this right here, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Our lowly bodies. It's referring to the fact that our bodies are part of the fallen nature. When man sinned, all of nature fell. Everything got messed up. Nothing is right in nature. It's all part of the fallen, mixed up, messed up world in which we live. Even our bodies 
So our bodies get sick. We have pain. We can't move like we want to, like we should. Things just don't work the way they're supposed to. It's all a part of that lowly body. But one of these days, one of these days, our lowly bodies will be transformed into glorious bodies like his. And I'm not sure what that looks like, but I think the best way that we can comprehend it is that the lame are going to walk and the blind are going to see and the dumb are going to speak and those of us who, who have pain will never hurt again and those of us who are ill will never suffer again and we will never ever shed another tear because there's no more sorrow ever again for always. Hey, that gives me joy on the journey because I know I can get through this. This is temporary. I'm just walking, but I'm headed somewhere. I'm headed home. And when I get home, everything's new. Petra used to sing, we are pilgrims in a strange land. We are so far from our homeland. With each passing day, it seems so clear this world will never want us here. We're not welcome in this world of wrong. We are foreigners who don't belong. We are strangers. We are aliens. We are not of this world. It would do us all good to remember if we are believers in Christ, we're not of this world. We can get through this because we know this is not all there is.